Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Howdy. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney. I'm Jordan. I'm Kara Cooney. Yes. Um, and today we're going to be talking about ancient Egypt's spooky edition. Um, as you tell, it's what, 80 degrees here? Yeah. It's really, spooky. really fall, weathery. Um, I'm channeling with my nails, though. Have, oh, look at you. I went dark. No, I, I have fair nails and I haven't bitten them all off yet, which for a nail we biter went, is significant. We went yesterday and got it done. What color so, is it? It's like, it's like a dark plant? green. Oh, that's beautiful. Like army. So that's I was like nice. channeling. I'm manifesting fall. Toes too. I did What's the toes nice? myself. Those shoes are so cute. Thank you. Made well. Oh, sponsor. See, this is what happens when you get two chicks together <laughs> to make a podcast. Well, anyway. since our last taping, anything happening? I mean, lots of writing. social media stuff and lots of writing stuff. Yeah, the Coffins book just is the albatross around my neck that I must release and set free. Um, and it's just so big and so huge. It's just taking a long Slowly time. Slowly coming along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, trying to work through all the PDFs and all of the the different things that I haven't read yet, and um, and figure out what I need I to do. That. Yeah, just collecting all the PDFs and putting them into the folder of the to be read TBR folder that you never get to. <laughs> well, I'm getting to it That's and it. looking through it, and mm-hmm. it's terrifying all that I have to read. So we're doing yeah. that, and slowly, um, slowly. Next week, I'll start to figure out how to integrate all of my voluminous notes back into the text that I've already written. We'll see. Figure it out. Best of luck. Um, so for today's episode, we're going to be focusing the first half on kind of ghosts and hauntings and looking at, you know, what evidence we have for ancient Egypt and the second half from my true love of true crime, um, we'll be looking at true, tri- true crime in ancient Egypt and see what evidence we have for that. We have a couple good primary, some case studies I've pulled. This is more the Jordan Galzinski show today than it is the Kara Cooney show, which I'm fine with because it's, it's ghosts and true crime. So, Which I love. so she's going to, she's going to lead this one. My uh, homage to all my true crime podcasts. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I guess we'll do first a content warning because some explicit content possibly coming up with some sexual assault discussions of Paneb and all that good stuff. Some so murder, assassination, murder, assassination, ghosts, things like that. And so, if you can't handle any of these things, you can opt out now. Another kind of note this won't be about pharaoh's curses in kind of modern times this is uh, we're looking at the ancient egyptian evidence what do we have for this happening you know what did ancient egyptians think of ghosts the afterlife uh you know did they fear ghosts death all these good things yeah um we're what's not an ancestor be... and what's a ghost who's going to mess exactly. with you and how do you draw the line what's an ark mm-hmm. what's an ark <laughs> what's what's just a ghost yeah so, yeah. so we weren't we're not going to be talking about like pharaoh's curses and all that hogwash um that could be another episode so to begin mm. ghosts and hauntings yeah i'm in so my first question to get the the audience kind of on the same page depending on you know how well read they are with the egyptian material what was the egyptian concept of the afterlife and the dead you know did they believe in ghosts i mean in our sense of the word ghost i guess obviously you know that egyptian afterlife studies take up a massive amount of the library of Egyptology mm-hmm. and the amount of time that we devote to all of the afterworld books and to the tombs and to the coffins and to the mummies and by extension and all of the time that the ancient Egyptians invested into all of this we could write volume after volume about mm-hmm. all of this stuff but when you're looking at things specifically from the perspective of a ghost of um, a spirit who must be placated or else they mm-hmm. will they will wreak havoc in some way, then it's a different kind of topic. And, and as usual with these things, I find it very ambivalent that the Egyptians are offering to ancestors using their names and invoking mm-hmm. them and giving them gifts 
writing letters to them, as you know, to try to get them to intercede on their behalf. But on the other side, they're, because they propped up ancestors to be so powerful, there's also the understanding that ghosts can create real harm mm -hmm. for people. And yep. that's, um, that's where the ambivalence comes in. What's a good spirit and what's a bad yep. spirit and how does this work? Well, and then we have the whole like, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little later, but like Akigaris, like effective spirits, like ones that are really mm -hmm. powerful. Um, yeah, the Ach Iker, Ach is a word for effective spirit. Essentially, you can't really become an Ach until you're dead mm -hmm. and you pass the tribunal and your heart's been weighed against the feather of truth and you don your white garments and you are an Ach, one who is effective. That word just by itself, and that's familiar to many of you from Akhenaten's name, the one who was mm -hmm. effective for the Aten, Akhenaten. Um, it means that you've been empowered. You're like a superhero mm -hmm. in, the, in the afterlife. You're somebody who's able to do something for other people. And an Ach Iker is an excellent, Even skilled, yeah. amazing Ach who's yeah. going to work for you. And it's, it's a really cool understanding of a good ghost, if you like, like a good witch. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> who's going to intercede on your behalf. It also implies that you have to go to the afterlife to get this mojo. And, mm -hmm. and this brings up another point, which is really cool. The idea of animal mummies mm -hmm. that, and this is a much later uh, development. So late period and really after the, the late period. So let's say around 600 BCE and going up um, to, to like, Greco -Roman. yeah, to yeah. Greco-Roman. So, you know, third century BCE, um, you have this idea that priests are breeding cats for Bastet or hawks for Horus. This is perfect because you lead me right into my next question. Yeah. Like, man like heparus, like manifestations where the gods can inhabit yeah. either a statue or a or an animal yeah. as a representation of themselves but and so like if, possess them in a, a sense but in a good way so if you're at a bostet temple and you're a priest and you're you're raising all of these cats there's ambivalence here too because you understand that for that cat to become an ach iker or mm -hmm. an ach for you you have to kill it it has to die or or it has to die and the best way to get it to die for you to sell it to somebody is yeah. to kill it yeah and so you have all of these kittens, essentially, from Bastet temples and buried at Saqqara and mm -hmm. other places where you can see that their necks have been broken. And then they've been wrapped and sent into the afterlife with a prayer, with a request. But you, there's the understanding that you have to send them to the dead, mm -hmm. the world of the dead, so they can bring back what the gods have, they have to, to give to you. Yeah. And yeah. I think the, the opening of the mouth ritual, too, is an interesting like making someone right it's the necessary process of either making a statue viable mm -hmm. for the god to enter it or the deceased or yeah. Yeah. or the the mummy to live again or mm -hmm. it's a way of taking an inanimate thing and that inanimate thing can be a coffin it can be a statue it can be a mummy that is now mm -hmm. dead and you're going to reawaken it and you take this dead inanimate thing and you enliven it and you pull in you name it you mm -hmm. pull in the name of the thing that you want to have. So, so the Egyptians are in control of this extraordinary power to make something come alive again, to bring the dead to life in a physical form before your eyes in a coffin mummy mm -hmm. set. But at the same time, that power comes with a great deal of after effects, mm -hmm. if you like, right? Side effects that you yeah. don't expect that might involve hauntings. Yep. It might involve somebody, some other families, Ach Iker, that are mm -hmm. doing Coming bad things you. to you. Yep. Um, and you have to counter with your family's ancestors, with your Ach Iker. Um, so there's a very close relationship between the living and yeah. your ancestors. Yeah. You know, so to go back to the original question of mm. did the Egyptians believe in, the, in ghosts in our sense? Yes. Hells yes. Yeah. Um, no question. I think it's a strange thing to ask if people believe in ghosts now. It's a modern question. Yeah. It's a question that in the ancient world you would never even ask because the dead are kind of all around you mm -hmm. and you're always talking to them and you're always, you're always connecting going with them. To yeah. the tomb and offering. It's a very Abrahamic question to ask yeah. if there's ghosts that, that, you know, there's only one God and you're only allowed to, to ask and for I, things through this one God. You don't ask your ancestors. The ancestors are now out of the question. And ghosts being a, a negative thing mm -hmm. nowadays, like mm -hmm. ghosts equal haunting, but not like a positive, like, oh, they can yeah. help you like Casper the friendly ghost or something <laughs> coming yeah. to help you. It's always usually like, oh, the person didn't 
have, you know, has still unsettled business. So they're haunting and can't pass on type right, of thing right. where the, the Egyptian concept kind of is yeah. much different, much different. And I think most pre-modern people, the concept mm -hmm. of ghosts is much different. Yeah. Okay. So to further explore this, so what were the various ways the living could interact with the dead in ancient Egypt? Say, let's just say New Kingdom, Egypt. I think we have our best evidence. Yeah. Um, and there's evidence going all the way back, yeah. you know. So uh, interaction with the dead is, it's now we bring up power and hierarchy mm -hmm. right away because in, who in can a, have a tomb to go visit their dead? Who and gets all these to create types of things, and manufacture yeah. the Ach Iker? Yeah. Because if the Ach Iker needs a statue, or a coffin money. <laughs> or something to manifest within, then only the rich are going to have access to these empowered dead mm -hmm. to work on behalf of other people, which then reifies the idea that powerful families have, that that power will move generationally ancestors. and will continue forever because their, mm -hmm. their ancestors are super powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, the Egyptians are constantly interacting with their dead. What we don't know is how much those Egyptians who couldn't pay for tombs and mm -hmm. statues and coffins, did they talk to their dead? Did they have other altars that it's are like less a, preserved? And like their home or something, a exactly. small exactly. altar or something. And, yeah. Or just the very you know, idea of saying, maybe just speaking their name mm -hmm. out loud. It's a wonderful for... part in the, the movie Gladiator, you know it, mm -hmm. where he takes out the little statues of his family out of a little pouch and he sets yeah, them up and he prays to the, well, again, he doesn't pray like yeah. this, does he? I don't know what hand movement. I think he did, does this. I don't remember. I think, yeah, he like offering. Yeah. yeah. So he's giving them things and feeding them and, and connecting with his mm -hmm. ancestors. And then he kisses them and puts them back mm -hmm. in the bag. And we don't have any little figurines like this from ancient Egypt, but you wonder if people could have some mechanism of just communing or even like their dead. Know, an heirloom they keep with them of their grandma or something yeah. and to have yeah. that as the connection connecting piece and what we don't we know, know they about, had altars and homes right from edfu from edfu from, from amarna from dural medina yeah. we know that there are altars and homes but, but what rich we people's homes. In, yeah or upper middle class mm -hmm. if you want to use the word yeah. class it's a problematic word in and of itself so it's um it's an issue what we don't know about the poor is a lot in yep. terms of burial and understanding of the dead because they're not Their writing customs. these things down. So yeah. it's it's tricky. But um, but what was your question? What the hell was the Just question? Just how they interact with the dead. Oh, so let's right, take right, like right. a, you know, we're in the one percent. Yeah. Rich Theban family. Yeah. In the you know the uh, the elite cemetery in mm -hmm. Thebes, how do they interact with their their ancestors? So you're you're setting people apart. You're saying that some people are special. The one percent, or two percent, or three percent are special. They deserve to be mummified, and live forever. They deserve to have a forever house mm -hmm. that can be visited um, in the upper part, and then their bodies are put down below in a place that is meant to be sealed. Yep. They are allowed to be reified in a statue form, and you can go and see them, right? Mm -hmm. And and they are named. Mm -hmm. And they're named with text. And so those, those individuals to connect with them, you would visit on particular feast days, like yeah, the festivals. beautiful Feast of the Valley mm -hmm. in Thebes, um, which is connecting the image of Amun-Re on the East Bank mm -hmm. with his burial place on the West Bank and bringing his regeneration full circle but every dead person got involved in this revivification mm -hmm. so it was like a, an egyptian day of the dead where everyone goes yep. to their family tombs have and a has a big party and, a big feast yeah, we have evidence right. of the food left over yeah yeah and you can also imagine if we're talking about the one percent mm -hmm. right of thieves then those people are going to invite the craftsmen and lower elites who are in People their employ their patron patronage network exactly perhaps, yeah and they will also invite the peasants who farm their land mm -hmm. um and and so those people will be a part of their family party so everyone kind of gets their the community type right. of thing yeah right which is still you know and then you get you know certain individuals get divinized right and become deified um in certain locales but you said it you said the word patronage which is perfect yep. so of course you know what we are you see like <laughs> power and hierarchy and differentials of, of society but so we are we having a ghost story here for a halloween patronage. release and what do we end up talking about but power. patronage <laughs> and power and hierarchy but it's it's true who even gets to have a ghost who mm -hmm. the people who get to have a ghost are powerful people yep. and then all the poor people are looking to those ghosts like they would look at a saint 
Yep. So like you would look at St. Jerome or St. Anne or St. Mm-hmm. Cecilia, whichever saint You're is your saint. Person. I'm going to go to you. Yeah. You can do something for yeah. me. And if you, go to Egypt, if you go to Egypt today and you're a part of the Muslim world, you know, there are special Same. sheikhs mm-hmm. and you go to the sheikh's little um, shrine and you mm-hmm. make offerings to the sheikh and the they sheikh. They still have like a beautiful feast of the valley. Yes, they when do. When we were Absolutely. there last time, uh, Hamdi was telling us about yeah. it and they're like, oh yeah, we go up to this thing, this sheikh's tomb on a certain day and. So, you know, there's the automatic understanding that some ghosts are powerful and some ghosts are not. Some yep. individuals yep. in the afterlife are powerful, powerful, some are not. And it's the, the same rules of this world seem to follow you mm-hmm. in the next, which brings up the, um, the, the idea that functional materiality, that phrase that I like to use mm-hmm. in my first book, is something that works in the Egyptian mindset, the ancient Egyptian mindset in this world and then in the next so whoever gets to get mummified and get the nice coffins and other things, they're going to make it farther. Yeah. And they're going to be more effective, more, yeah. more able to work on behalf of their yeah. family members. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a relationship between you go to your immediate ancestor because you think, oh, we have a direct connection. So yeah. they'll be looking out for me. Yeah. Or you go to the super powerful, like local, you know, head honcho or something. I mean, if you have a big problem, like say your, I don't know what your your daughter is married to some dude who's treating her badly or you're sick or you're sick a lot of the letters to that always focus on like i'm ill and help me or something yeah the the sickness is something that the ancestors are able to help and intercede on on your behalf i bet that people would would cross all their t's and dot all their i's and do everything that they needed to do so they would visit the big patron person they would they would probably in their own house do like a a silent meditation or maybe a verbalized thing in front of everybody in whatever mm-hmm. form of a shrine they have that we mm-hmm. don't have preserved necessarily or don't understand. You don't need a physical shrine, you know. I mean, you know, there's just soul the houses, space. right? We have those little soul, soul houses. houses that but even say just like the like in Muslim tradition, you pray a certain direction. It might mm-hmm. just be a certain direction you look, or it could be you look to the west. Not, you, you know, pray to the ancestors. Tangible. Yeah. Um, and then you also go to the important dudes tomb Mm -hmm. and make an offering to him as well but that requires money again right Mm -hmm. to make the offering you have to put down the the dough it does so it's a um it's the same as going into a catholic church and you light Mm -hmm. a candle and you put money into the box and then you get the candle and you you can light it there there is an exchange that's Mm -hmm. that's taking place it's not maybe so crass as the catholic church before martin luther with indulgences where you could buy (laughs) your way out of sin right yeah but um but it's not that different. I was going to say, really. I feel like there's, it's not that different. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you can get a heart scarab of precious green to stone, help get you into the, put your name on it and say, oh, heart of my mother, tribunal. heart of my mother, do not betray me in the halls of justice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I've done. Don't speak up when I say that I'm clean, I'm pure, I'm pure, I'm pure. Well, let's just be baptized together here and be mm-hmm. pure. And it is something Let that, heart that magic with the green stone, who can afford that? So it's, it's super leaps. Yeah, it's something that is differentiated depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. Back to spooky. Yeah. So did the Egyptians fear the dead? Mm. Death? We can talk about that's a bigger topic or the underworld of like of people coming to like haunt them or, um, you know, people using ox or you, people using their ox power against them from like ghosts acting against them. Yeah. I think fear is always there. A healthy amount of fear in the other side, on the other side of the veil, if you mm-hmm. like. Um, maybe a better word. Um, or what there's that old kingdom example of the if you enter my tomb unpure, yeah, I'm gonna throttle you like a duck. Well, explain like, what that means. So, you know, you to enter the tomb, you need to be pure. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, you know, wob pure. And that if you enter unpure, so you're not cleansed ritually pure yeah um you'll pollute the tomb and the the deceased is going to get mad at you and he's going to come get you as an effective ock yeah um so he, there's a across the door jam it says like if you enter my tomb on pure i will throttle you like a duck like snap your neck and yeah bring you bring you neck into bring you like a duck yeah, yeah. Just, which means that people were going into tombs on impure somehow yeah. they were doing things that they weren't necessarily supposed to do Whenever you, this is a a historical (laughs) trick. If you, if you see a text that says, don't do this, it means people were doing it. Mm -hmm. It's a useful way of reading. Like my son came home with Hammurabi's laws. I'm like, if they say that, you know, that this will happen, it means it's, it's Mm -hmm. happening. 
Um, so, so use that the opposite as a, as a way of dealing with things. But, but the better word I think is awe, that there is always hmm. an awe in the other side, in the afterlife, in the divinities. And that is, there's a healthy amount of awe in the Egyptian mindset. And so they, they're going to look at their dead from that Respect. perspective. Yeah. 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 The best one I think I found was, um, an Ostraka, um, a gardener. Yeah. So O gardener 363 and uh -huh. it's a spell against night terror. So can you read it to protect? So I wasn't able to find the exact, it was under uh, lock and key yeah. online. Um, but I know what it's about. And it was, so it was about someone was wanted a spell to protect them yeah. against a um, spirit entering their home um, and um, performing a sexual act upon them. Oh my goodness. So, so that's, um, there's a fear that, and we know that, you know, Egyptians to, you know, live again and be revivified, it means you also have sexual function. Yeah. So that the ghost could then come from the afterlife or as an ock. And was it a male ghost that was doing this mm -hmm. sexual act, not so a female? It was a male. So interesting. Yeah. Um, to track down the article, it wasn't available online. So because in the Western mindset, medieval Western mindset of mm -hmm. witchcraft and other things, or like Lilith and, and well, there's the idea of the succubus, right? Is that mm -hmm. the correct yep, word? Yep, I think yep. where this this the evil demon lady, this witch lady ghost thing it's will come seduce and you, and, seduce you, and it's yeah. the female doing it to the male. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the only example um, you have from pharaonic times for this, I don't know if it's the only example only, yeah. one would have to look. Um, is a feet is a male doing it to to another, another male, male potentially um and what jordan was talking about with um the deceased having to be sexualized yeah is super Activated, interesting yeah. because there and i've written some on this you can look at my square space page and see uh what i what i've written about this and many egyptologists have written about this that the creation of the world and the creation of the sun god after his death the creation of osiris um after his murder is to revivify yourself sexually. Mm -hmm. And this is depicted in some places quite explicitly uh, as in like cartoon-like fashion, step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. And there's the deceased, like, like let's go to the rooftop of, of Dendra. Yep, um, I remember. The Osiris rooftop on, on Dendra's mm -hmm. temple. And there you have Osiris laying dead on his funerary bier. He's been mummified and they're ready to commit him to his new coffin, mm -hmm. right? And the next one, he his penis is erect right it's ready to go ready to go and then the next one he reaches out his hand to masturbate himself back into existence and then the next one you see isis as a bird yeah. fluttering over the penis <laughs> to collect the seed of horus and step by and then you see osiris lifting up his whole body he's he is now awake and alive and it was the sexual activity the rising of the penis mm -hmm. first that allows him to rise as an entire being and the egyptians are not shy about talking about this or showing it it is the alpha and omega of new life and it is yeah. the, the creation of the world has coffin text that rich one percenters who put on their coffins that said things like an atum took his penis in his grasp that he might make orgasm with auto it fellatio. and the, there's also <laughs> auto examples it's so true it's the best um, when we're teaching egyptian religion to the undergrads yeah and you're like we get to talk about this and, it, you don't and have people sleeping like, in your class it's so true um, but you have a point that if you awaken the dead through sexuality, they can use it against you. Yeah. And the, you're feeding the ka spirit and the ka mm -hmm. is associated with words for penis mm -hmm. and sex yep. and the cot is the vagina, right? Mm -hmm. And so ka is food, ka is a soul sustenance. So food and sex are kind of the same thing and food, sex and spirit Life. are kind of the same yeah. thing. And, -giving and so the deceased, the dead ghost that might be a little lost or empowered but with no place to mm -hmm. put his empowerment um <laughs> one could imagine pissed off a ghost maybe. yeah i can imagine in the imagination of the egyptians who are combining this sexuality and feeding um that things could somehow go too far That's or right. get out of so control you need, a, you need a spell to protect yourself you do you do yeah. and apparently um and this is a dira medina ostracon the mm -hmm. the gardener one yep. that's interesting so yes yeah, um, against night terrors so someone okay. was having some bad dreams Yes. And then, so they probably went to their local magician or mm -hmm. wise woman or ladies, something. Yeah, the and they're like, I don't know, let's write it down. Cause you mm -hmm. actually get it written down yeah. on an ostracon is just a tiny flake mm -hmm. of 
limestone or a potsherd and you write on it in ink mm -hmm. and uh, red or black or other colors if those are available for a pictorial ostracon and ostracon singular ostraca plural That's which right. i always mess up yeah it's okay it's like papyrus singular papyri plural. yeah damn greeks yes um, it's not a language the egyptians were using so until later but so doesn't matter it's true so moving on to demons yeah so within you know say just take the new kingdom book of the dead these these books there's over 2500 different demons if we want to call them that we can we're not going to get into the, like how we define these these terms but supernatural entities yeah. right beyond yeah. beyond uh supernatural entities of great power yeah um so why do you think we have so many showing up in these books you know what's their role and function within these these underworld books for the deceased to have to go through all these mm. trials and tribulations why yeah. do we have all these demons showing up i know you know from earlier middle kingdom we have these wands that have demons depicted on them i mean mm -hmm. this is a whole other kind of topic but i yeah. just wanted to touch on kind of more and i guess too here's another question when we think of demons and you know a western perspective it's always a negative thing it's a demons trying to do something bad to you yeah is it that hold true for the egyptian you know are they always trying to do something bad to the deceased in the under underworld or can they be to your uh, advantage as well and you know that this idea of demons being demonized yep. is an abrahamic judeo-christian mm -hmm. islamic mormon reality a monotheistic yeah thing. yeah in which this plurality needs this, this empowered plurality needs to be othered and, and put mm -hmm. into another category and god is the only one yep. true thing um but in polytheistic societies demons are just lesser gods mm -hmm. in a sense or frightening beings yeah, that have extraordinary daemons. power daemons yeah because you know right from the coptic it comes from ak yeah into ich, and then daemon from the in it's also daemon in the coptic from the greek oh, okay so they, but it they take it the word i believe in like like for ghost or demon is from ak okay okay so if i remember my coptic but but then you know these beings in if you're looking at an Egyptian coffin or you're looking at the Book of the Dead and they have oh, these, you say coffins, they have might so many call examples them of guardians, them. you know, mm -hmm. or they might call them just gods of the underworld or I mean, there's all kinds so protective, of protective. They can be protective. They can absolutely not be protective. Necessarily vengeful. No. Or... So think of something like the evil eye warding mm -hmm. off the evil eye. You need something really freaking scary mm -hmm. to get that evil eye uh, to pop hip hop hippo with a yeah. alligator tail exactly and a knife um so you need like something that's like a face full of fire or mm. um you know it's like vengeful cats a vengeful cat that's <laughs> spitting fire or something that um you've got flames shooting out of the eyes literally mm -hmm. there's all kinds of different things snake head or something like that or a beetle head mm -hmm. or something absolutely frightening but the the egyptians were clever about taking that thing that is super frightening and then claiming it and mm -hmm. using it as their own. And so some examples would be like, well, who is the god of mummification? Anubis. Anubis. And what does Anubis do? Jackal. What do you mean? I mean, what well, do jackals in do? real life, jackals are, they're animals that scavenge, they're mm -hmm. angry dogs that could attack you and kill you. They or they, the I mean, if they're margins, scavengers, they rip they, apart they the, dead. the dead. They eat yeah. the dead. So then what do they do with that animal? But they make him, him the protector the of the dead. The one who is in charge of it. Yeah. Exactly. So they take that most frightening power that he has and they turn it. Mm -hmm. And what does the hippo do? But it's almost like the child deactivating from the, it. They're, it is deactivating yeah, it ritually. Flipping it. You take that power and then you turn it. So they, that hippo mm -hmm. snatches the child from the riverbank. Now you make it the goddess of child. <laughs> exactly. You give it a pregnant hippo, who's probably the fiercest of all the hippos. Like she's gonna, she doesn't Badass. have any Fs left to give because yeah. she's like protecting her baby mm -hmm. and she's she's super angry. Well, and then you make a hippo croco crocodile mix. Yeah. And it's like even more. Yeah. Put those things together and and then you have extraordinarily frightening mm -hmm. demons so you know the afterlife is full of all of these things and it's kind of protective and frightening and awe-inspiring at the same time because when you go into the afterlife space you're supposed to go into the hall of truth or the hall of two truths depending on how you want to translate it and there's many different ways of understanding that different podcasts and 
you, you stand there and you've got the 42 demons mm -hmm. or uh, gods of the underworld yeah. or the tribunal or whatever words you want to use. And they're, they're described in some ways and sometimes depicted in books of the dead mm -hmm. with really scary, frightening faces. And you have to face them and you have to know their names. You have to know what they're called to yeah. placate them. And yeah. you bow before them and, and, and acknowledge their power. And if you can do that, then they respect you for it, then they will, and if your heart is true, then they will protect you on the other side. Mm -hmm. So you, what you are to face in the afterlife in terms of a pop fist and destruction of existence yeah. itself is uh -oh. so frightening that you need that to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so those demons are- So that's why they show up in Books of the Dead or on mm -hmm. coffins later mm -hmm. and- Yeah, you actually depict these things. You need to know mm -hmm. what you're gonna be up against. Mostly they depict them on the inside of a 21st dynasty mm -hmm. coffin of the coffins of my period. And they're all there holding knives, you know, they'll, they're squatting right. and holding their little knives. Those knives are not for the deceased. Mm -hmm. Those knives are for enemies of the deceased and you're surrounding the deceased. You're co-opting them. You are co-opting your... that power and using them to fight off any, mm -hmm. any bad. Other bad mm -hmm. entities. Yeah. yeah. So the, it's, it's a world filled with threat and it's a world filled with threat and you're using your ancestors, protective demons, um, anything that you can to so here's to a question towards you. What happens to a person if they fail going to where do, you know? So it's like always this option of not making it yeah. to live on. We were just talking about you this fail. On, my, on my Facebook today because I posted a picture of the goddess. If you understand her as a goddess or a demon, she doesn't have any temples. Amit, right? Yeah. The devourer. Yep. The one who's part hippo, part crocodile part lion yep. um you put all those together and she's she looks like a little dog with jaws open ready <laughs> to eat the heart that's being put on the scale next to the feather of truth and if it doesn't weigh um properly then she gets to eat the heart and then you cease to exist you're gone you you're not there yep. any longer and so that that's you know she's female and the image that i just depicted has her with all of these little teats yeah. um as a a being that is just given birth to more such demons and is feeding those demons. But in a way it makes sense though, because, you know, in nature, females, mothers are the, that's the time when you don't want to meet the animal, right? Yeah, that's true. when she's the most dangerous, that most she'll charge at you and attack you like a bear. You know, you meet a bear in the wild, like not a big deal. You meet a mom bear with cubs, yeah. bad yeah. news. Yeah. The most instinctually sure able any... to understand where real threat is. Yeah. Is they, a mom yeah, with yeah. her babies yeah um and somebody else pointed out i don't remember who it was on my facebook i apologize but somebody pointed out that mothers whose young die or aren't viable mm -hmm. they eat their own young mm -hmm. and i don't know about reading about this in my neanderthal book really yeah and kindred they're talking about like infanticide and eating uh, of cannibalism and how oh it's very God. common and that um, homo sapiens we were doing it too we were doing it too there's actually more evidence of us doing it than for neanderthals oh my goodness yeah, very interesting that's crazy Kindred, if you're interested but mammals eating their young i mean it's not like a completely weird. normal thing mm -hmm. right it's it happens all the time so you know re nutrients and yeah so this idea of amit the devourer who's who meets somebody whose soul is black and dark and bad and she eats that. It's like she's the mother of that person and then just takes it back mm -hmm. um, to give birth she to something birth else that's better. It, yeah. It's it's kind of cool. So there's there's all kinds of backstories to these demons that one could work with more, which is um, super interesting. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so we've mentioned Ba, Kaz, yeah. Ox. Yeah. So I think we should maybe quickly define them yeah, for everyone. You want to start because it's so hard. So what's, yeah, what's an easy way of understanding um, and so these are aspects of a person. So we can talk about a person is made up of their ren, their name, their shadow, suit, um, ka, ba, ak, yeah. which they get at various stages in their life. Their body or their core. Their actual body. Yeah. Soft um, sometimes comes into play too. Using yeah, there's two out. words for body, which is um, like a mummified, preserved one, and then the, the yeah, body the without the preservation. Yeah. Or body and then preserved body. Yeah. Um, so first let's define these and then we can talk about how they're related to the deceased and interactions and ghosties. I so, mean, well, you know, there's no good way to define yeah. them. And you know that if you put two Egyptologists in a room that they won't agree <laughs> yeah. on how one is to define these things. So it's it's really, really tricky. So um, I guess we can just say, so a ka 
is the aspect that you give offerings to in a tomb. It's, yeah, it's the, very attached to the, the tomb locale. The one that feeds, yeah. if you like. And and many Egyptologists say this is the spirit of divinity. And it's like in Tut's tomb, we, it's the double. Yeah. He's shown with his ka. That, that everyone who's born has a ka with them mm -hmm. at all times that can be angry or pleased, satisfied, dissatisfied. Yeah. So that this when you have, die, separates yeah. from you. As yeah. they're corporal body versus like all these get our messy translations in english like spirit or soul or it whatever yeah, it's it doesn't not really good work. and when the egyptians have four different words for spirit or soul then oh, you know you you've got trouble and it's one of the best places to read about this is jan osman's mm -hmm. book on the afterlife um i think it's called death and the afterlife mm -hmm. in ancient egypt yep. and he talks about these different parts of the person being fragmented and splintered at death that when you're alive you've got them all in your hole um, potentially even the ah, I'm not sure. Do you, you only get That's that with death debated, yeah. when you come when back together becomes... again and then you become super empowered. But anyway, the ka is the spirit that needs to be fed, yeah. needs to be sexed, if you like. Yeah. So, and like ka statues, ka statues, yeah. you know, you think of Joser's ka That's statue. what you offer to. That's what yeah. the ka inhabits that statue yeah. you offer to it. It's the one that can receive things from you. Yeah. So that interacts with the dead, yeah. to, I mean, with the living to yes. a degree. And, and you can see it, and, yeah. right? If you have a Ka statue and you go to a tomb, you're interacting with that and you're- And it has the- You can arms. have the Ka arms on it. Sometimes yes, you sometimes know. no, it depends. Um, but yeah, the Ka is depicted as open arms like this. Mm -hmm. Arms of worship, if you like, because mm -hmm. the Egyptians would worship like the baboons would warm themselves in the sun. And the Ka looks like that, um, often placed on top of someone's head. but. But yeah, it's associated with the exchange, mm -hmm. give and take exchange that I worship you, you give me something back. I give you food, you give me something back. I have sex with you, you are nice to me or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the Ka is probably the most confusing I think, of them I think to too, define. Like the Ba makes sense. You see depictions of what? Ba. How do you understand the Ba? So Ba to me is more, the, more what happens after death. The thing that kind of lives on it can move around it's depicted with you know as a bird with a human head yeah it can it can leave it comes back yeah um and it's i think to me it's the connection between the physical corpse so the mummy or whatever mm -hmm. and the afterlife it's the thing that travels between the body and the afterlife yeah and the cause like the thing that travels between like the tomb and kind of the living but it seems more uh localized I mean, it's hard, but They're it's hard connected. With and then the, you have the, the world which of the just living. makes it even messier. I mean, the Ba, I would often say to students, the spirit of mobility, because you can, yep. your Ba can leave your corpse, wherever that is in a burial Fly. chamber somewhere, go into the inside of the sky mm -hmm. to be with the sun God. Um, when the sun is setting, have your one last hurrah and party, and then you have to go back to your your body. your body and that's why the egyptians when they saw birds flying at sunset they're like oh those are the bosses that are celebrating as the sun is about to set and then when the sun sets the birds all go away and they go back to the land of the dead is mm -hmm. the understanding yep. um but anyway yeah bah. and then what was the, the ah. we yeah. kind of touched on yeah. but essentially it's the more i think the part of the person that interacts most with mm. the living or can be of most use to the living, right? Because it can be effective for as people, you know, in the letters to the dead, it's always they're asking the ach. Yeah, they are. They're not they asking are. the ka or the ba. They're always asking for the ach to come do something. Yeah. And or, why or saying you ach, are an effective ach. Why is the ach not a ka? Why mm -hmm. do we differentiate in this way? Um, I don't understand the answer to messy. this. It is super messy. Um yeah, but it's the empowered soul after death. And when you see an ach depicted, I would argue that they're gendered. So they're given either a male or female mm -hmm. sex. They're shown wearing the white pleated garments, pure white pleated garments. Yep. They often have a fat cone on their heads yep. with a beautiful scent. So they're clean, hygienic, they smell good. Um, and they're wealthy, you know? So even if you see an ach, like in the tomb of Senegem, farming mm -hmm. the fields. They're farming the fields with their full regalia, their full dress, yeah. their wigs and all their Donna. stuff, and they're out there farming. <laughs> so that's what it means to be an ach. But yeah, the ach is the, I can't say I that. I think oh, that's this is the to one me that, the closest ghost. I, I think that in works. In our sense of terms. I think that works. Obviously yeah. that's. Um, it's an empowered one. It's the superhero mm -hmm. spirit that you need to be careful of. Yeah. 
So that can yeah be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of wrapping up our ghosties talk, any particular texts or objects that make you think of ghosts or hauntings from ancient Egypt? Well, there's Kansu Emhab and the ghost. Well, right? So what's, what's that story? That's a uh, 20, late 20th, early 21st dynasty story. Where was it found? Western Thebes, obviously. But, um, you know, I don't know what the fine story of yeah. that, of that text is. We can check is. and put it in the we show notes. We can put it in the show notes. We, we won't try to do it now. But um, Amber's on it. Amber, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Let us know where it was found. With you. Um, but it's a super interesting text because it's about. I don't think I've the, ever read it. Yeah, it's what it's about the high priest of Amun. Yeah. Um, so he's a super important one percenter, you know, arguably at the time period we're talking about like the most important man mm-hmm. in Upper Egypt. Right. Super important guy. And he's being haunted by a middle kingdom dude who is weeping all the time and disturbing him, disturbing his sleep and his life. And he's like, what do you want me to do? How can I help mm-hmm. you? And he's like, I used to be this amazing guy who worked for Mentuhotep Nebhepet Ray. And I need hmm. you to treat me with respect. And, you know, I, I'm missing all of the things so that I can connect with the living and, and live in a positive way in the afterlife. And so he provides him with a whole funerary set of nested coffins and they are said to be gilded, which is amazing. Oh. Because this is a time period nice. of crisis when everyone is reusing coffins because they can't afford to give coffins to a fresh wood for yeah. their own relatives because the wood stands have been compromised. So they give him a new coffin set and they give him they give him a gilded coffin set. It mm-hmm. says of gold. And they include canopic jars for his organs and a whole bunch of other things. And then the story is broken, but it seems that that Kansu Emhab, the high priest of Amun, doesn't get haunted anymore. But talk about ambivalence and fears of what the world has become because these people are living in a time period in which the gold mines have been shut down. Mm -hmm. The tree stands are not producing the way that they used to for acacia and sycamore and things like this, Christ thorn, tamarisk wood, stuff like that. And people are going into Western Thebes as like a bank vault to, to take. So it's like, did, was this guy involved in looting some tombs and now is feeling we, a little guilty or having some nightmares know. about spirits haunting him? We know that Pionk and Harry mm-hmm. Hor, both named as high priests of Amun, were involved in this kind of looting or organized- Sanctioned. Sanctioned re-commodification, yeah. <laughs> if you want. That's the kind of thing that I, I might say in a paper. It is re-commodification. Yeah. And they're involved in this and they're opening, systematically opening up the tombs in the Valley of the Kings. Mm-hmm. And may, But maybe when this text was written, they're not doing that yet, a but they're dealing with the morality and the, yeah. the repercussions, the, the psychological and spiritual repercussions mm-hmm. of doing work like this. So- there, there's obviously a great deal of anxiety within the population mm-hmm. and it's coming out in this ghost story. And like to be haunted by someone who lived a thousand years yeah. ago. But who's the guy that's haunting? That's the other cool thing. And it brings us right back to yeah. what we were talking about before about hierarchy and who gets to have a, mm-hmm. a, an afterlife existence at all. The guy was a super rich one percenter who was doing the haunting and he was a really important <laughs> administrator and soldier or general if you like in in mentuhotep's Mm -hmm. presence he wasn't the king it just shows you too the the lasting legacy of uh mentuhotep's mortuary it also shows you that they're going through a lot of middle kingdom tombs well you see like mentu emhat's tomb like right in front uh mantu emhat 25th dynasty or later yeah oh mantu emhat 25th yeah Yeah, later on but like Um, they're still in that you know yeah no, and the soft tombs are there. So mm-hmm. you know that those 25th dynasty tombs are there. Um, it also, what was I going to say about Middle Kingdom? Powerful tw- guy, general. Powerful guy, general. Um, oh, I can't remember. Last it's okay. No, okay. don't worry. Don't worry. Um, that's, a, that's a good story. I haven't, I haven't, what is that written in? Uh, Heratic. Yeah, okay. On, we haven't, on a never papyrus, translated. Never do you translated have information that. for us? Oh, it's okay. oh, it's on an Astrica. On Astrica. Multiple pottery vessels as preserved. Is it is it in at least, Leiden? At least two. At least two. Vessels, multiple fragments, but there is this idea that they think that it was copied, that the pottery was copied from the early Renaissance period of papyrus that was mm-hmm. paginated. This is that's cool. Simpsons literature book. That's awesome. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, possibly older. Yeah, but preserved really on cool. pottery vessels, which proves that they're copying this thing in a domestic mm-hmm. context, not necessarily in a Valley of the Kings context. 
but yeah, yeah interesting where's this where is it now where are the ostraca it doesn't say right here um, look it up. We'll does that. it say what the ostraca are called what number they are no but i have the publications here from becarith and uh Palsner. Okay. Oh, so it is probably Dermot, you know, this postmark. No, I'm sure it's Western Thieves. Okay. The question is what museum it's in there. Oh, yeah. But we can look it up. We'll find it um, and put it out there. It's a great text. Okay. So just to continue, I have some letters to the dead. Yeah. Um, that I'm going to read some excerpts from you and get your opinions, thoughts okay. on. Okay. But before we get to them, can you explain what this corpus of texts are? There aren't many letters to the dead, probably mm -hmm. about a dozen altogether. And they extend from, I think, the old kingdom. I think the earliest one is first intermediate period. Yeah. Going all the way to, is the Tenth latest dynasty. one the Tenth, 21st dynasty one? Probably. Yeah. I have just some pulled or from. Or 20th dynasty? From, yeah, later First intermediate period, middle kingdom. Yeah. Ones are the. Uh, and they're essentially you're you're writing to the ah whatever spirit you want to to help you and mm -hmm. you're complaining about your life something's gone wrong you're sick or someone's messy with your crops or somebody's taking your stuff in some way mm -hmm. and trying to exert influence on you and you reach out to your ancestors and say come on i need you to i need you to wake up here yeah. and work on my What's behalf up? and um it's it's a really interesting genre and people have talked about these as it's amazing we have any written down at all because what one would expect is that this happened every day, all the time throughout Egypt. You would go to your patron ach, if yeah. you like, and make a request verbally. But to write it down, it adds another like, layer. Why, why do you, you have to write it down? It. Why send a letter? Well, and then it the gets dead. into like how many people can write. Did mm -hmm. you pay someone to write this down for you? Did you go to a scribe and say, can you transcribe this for me? And also, you know, it's super private. You don't necessarily want people to know if you have enemies, what it is you're upset about. Well, a lot about. of them are on like the back of pots, like the mm -hmm. one I'm, it's like on a pot that then is offered. So maybe it's like to make the offering more mm -hmm. effective that it has the, I think the that the direct notation, the best comparison I can make today is if you go to the wailing wall or you go to a saint statue and mm -hmm. it's the cultural way to write something on a little say, piece of yep. paper roll it up and put it in something mm -hmm. it's kind of like that you don't expect anyone else to read it it's for the gods it's for the unseen to be mm -hmm. able to to read that text yep. yeah yeah okay so the first one we have is a message from mary tv mm -hmm. to nebit f and it's from nagadere 10th dynasty um, and he's, so he's writing to his wife who is deceased. Yeah. He says, how are you? Is the West taking care of you as you desire? Uh, look, I am your beloved on earth. So fight for me, intercede for my name. I have not garbled a spell before you while making your name live upon the earth. Drive off the illness of my limbs. And he asks for her to appear to him in a dream, wow. which is really cool. Wow. So he's saying, I didn't, I haven't screwed up. I've been giving you all your stuff. So like, why am I sick? Yeah. Um, and I haven't garbled. Like, I suppose that means I didn't go and like, say it super fast yeah, or, or like rush through yeah. it or make a mistake that he's been doing everything he needs to. So why are you not um, protecting me as mm -hmm. you should? That's really and that, interesting. That to ask to say, appear in a dream and let me know you, you got this and yeah. they're going to help me out and. I think we all have those stories of somebody we know who's died and then we dream about them. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. then people are like, oh, they visited you. And mm -hmm. you're like, well, you know, it's just or a like, dream. I don't know. And yeah. it's all depends on perception. Mm -hmm. um, what was the aura? What were you going to say? Well, I'd say, or like you see something like that reminds you of them or like, I know people think like, oh, it's so-and-so like in the spirit of the cat I just bought or, mm -hmm. you know, or the dog or a bird or something. They yeah. re-inhabit something else. My grandmother had a story. That I always remember she told me as a kid multiple times that when her her mother died when she was only nine of the so-called Spanish flu, um, like 1918, 1919. And, and then her, she became very close to her aunt. And then her aunt died. And on the day that she died, she remembers um, sitting, being asleep and then waking up and seeing her aunt sitting at the foot of the bed mm. and say, and just kind of, it was very comforting. Yeah. And then she went back to sleep. And then she found out that her aunt had died. And you wonder about stories like that, um, how, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a ghost story that my grandmother told me. And, and I still remember it. And it meant something to me. And it's one of my ways as a child of understanding how the dead interact with the living, how they might say their last goodbyes, how they care and come back. Or how people 
to be more like psychological about it, like deal with the passing of someone and, yeah. you know, cope and. My, my grandmother was convinced that she had come to say goodbye and let her know that everything would be and all I'm right. Sure, and you said it was a comforting experience. Yeah. She probably felt like, oh, she's at peace. Everything's okay. Yeah. And that was one of my first ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, really like a real one. And uh, it's it's been a way that I've worked with mm-hmm. um, this other plane, <laughs> if you believe yeah. in that, um, ever since. So, yeah. The next one I have, which I also enjoy because it's from a wife to her deceased husband and she's it's entitled to the unhelpful husband really <laughs> oh but that's the title that's that the, the, title the scholars that, um, gave it the scholars gave it yes to the that uh, parkinson gave it that's awesome um so it's sent by daddy to her um to her dead husband and she goes as for the serving girl who was ill so their their maid is ill can you not fight for her day and night with any man who is doing her harm and any woman who is doing her harm why do you want your threshold to be made desolate? Fight for her so that she may be reestablished and libations poured for you. So she's threatening him that I'm not going to give you your offerings yeah. and pour your libations if you yeah. if our serving girl dies. It is an exchange. If there's no help from you, your house will be destroyed. <gasps> Don't you know that it's the serving maid who makes your house amongst men? Fight for her, watch over her, save her from those who are doing her harm. Then your house and your children will, shall be established good be your hearing so she's she's often threats which is very interesting to threaten and, and the the key role the serving girl plays apparently in this household which is interesting i mean i suppose that someone's trying to take the serving girl to another household and then she'll lose all of her in-house help and that she's sick apparently yeah um but this was inside of a bowl i like the threat yeah if you don't do what i then what we're I need, not going to give you offerings I, and you're not going to live again mm-hmm. you're not you're not there helping me and we're done any other kind of little ghost things you can think of? I mean, you know, I, I would add that a lot of our evidence for ghosts comes from a place that is an Acropolis where mm-hmm. people are living in the land of the dead. Yep. And that would be Dero Medina in particular, where you you have people for generations that whose job is to build and decorate the tombs in the Valley of the Kings, Valley of the Queens, probably other tombs as well. And they are housing the dead that's mm-hmm. that's their job very special dead royal dead but they're they're also living amongst the dead because their own communities dead are right across the way in their own village because that's where they live yeah. so i think a lot of the the things that we read have that particular perspective mm-hmm. about people who are living amongst the dead and if you go to cairo today there's a very famous area called mm-hmm. the cities of the dead where the caretakers who are who are meant to not necessarily make offerings but keep these places clean and and safe and tidy and tended are living in the tombs they're living amongst the tombs Mm -hmm. and there's so many of these people that they've it's become urban spaces with post boxes and Mm -hmm. and little shops and workshops and other things so it's it's a normal thing to have a segment of society that is meant to live with the dead and then they generationally live with the dead Yeah. yeah yeah So much more we could possibly touch upon yeah. and talk about but so we'll leave uh ghosts and hauntings there uh okay. we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll get into ancient egypt true crime <laughs> thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen if you enjoyed the show please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakuni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni.